Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Michelle Evans, who is the Retail, Digital and Consumer Insights Director and Global Lead at Euromonitor International. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Simon. How are you? And doing well. Thanks for the invite. Good. No, appreciate your time and thanks for coming on. So we're going to talk today around digital shopper trends, which is based on your recent 2023 webinar. Uh, that's not a British accent I detect either. So where are you based? I'm based in Chicago. Nice. And the, the weather today is very cold or very warm? <laughs> this week it's been it's been uh, flirting with spring. We'll say that. But um, yeah, a little in and out there. So warmer than the UK. So we're, as at the time of recording, we're predicted snow and minus five or minus six this week. So um, yeah, that'll be a potential lockdown for us because we just can't deal with cold weather. But there you go. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure you're you're far more equipped. Every time I've been to the States, far more equipped, certainly on the, yeah. the East Coast for cold weather. Um, yeah, I say now is a flip-flop season. You know, yeah. Once it, once it hits like fifty degrees in Chicago, yeah, not 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 for us. It's cold. It's cold. Um, wonder if you can get the car off the drive type weather or soon to be. But <laughs> enough weather chat. Um, so Michelle, tell us tell us a bit about yourself, what you've done, how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, so I've been at your monitor uh, twelve and a half years. Um, I actually started in our payments research, but moved more into digital. Uh, kind of driven trends probably a good 10 plus years ago. Um, and then I was, I was managing our new product around, we call it the digital consumer. So thinking about this digitally connected consumer for the last seven years, I've been doing that. And then obviously that ties so much into retail um, that I started managing those insights as well a few years back. Excellent. And, and retail digital transformation, big, big talking point. Certainly, you know, we, we've seen a massive change, haven't we, since the COVID years and coming out of that. But now we've got kind of, unfortunately, a, a prolonged war. We've got global recession. We've got supply problems. So maybe pushing people onto that next level of thinking or um, a necessity to, to kind of move forward. Yeah, there's no shortage of things to talk about in this space for sure. Good. And we're going to focus specifically today on this 2023 Digital Shopper Trends webinar that, that you did. Um, you're a Monitor International. We'll, we'll put a link on the notes for the the show so that people can click on it and, and watch that and come back to you with any, any questions or next steps. Um, and that really focused on how digitally you're connecting shoppers, I think. And there was five key trends that you're going to talk us through. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the basis is... is um, you know, we're thinking about these digital shoppers and how they're using that connection or other technologies to redefine commerce um, in the year ahead. Brilliant. So five trends. Should we start with number one? Yeah. So number one is um, called online savers and it ties into definitely some of some of what you just brought up um, in the, in the conversation already as it relates to this general economic uncertainty, inflation, cost of living, supply chain challenges, and the like. Uh, so your monitor does not project um, that the global economy will enter a recession this year. But obviously, that threat does remain top of mind for consumers. Um, and something that we're seeing this year 
or that, or that we drew out as a trend is unlike the 08, 09 recession, consumers or the, the population, you have three times as many consumers that are connected. So we have 5 billion digital consumers today. We had 1.6 in 09. And the biggest thing is that means that there's more digital tools and platforms out there to help consumers with stretching their money. So it could range from utilizing platforms for secondhand shopping to joining neighbors online um, in online communities to place bulk orders, um, you know, also known as community group buying. And then just in general, um, you know, efforts to bring discounts more front and center on websites. So like Google's an example where at the end of 2022, they unveiled uh, new shopping features to make it easier for consumers to locate deals on Google Shopping, as an example. So have we become more savvy shoppers by default or because we can access data and information and have it presented to us or surface more easily? Is it as have we become more lazy shoppers? Is that or is it a combination of the two? Are we savvy or lazy, basically? Uh, so I think it's what we're um, hypothesizing here is is just because consumers are more savvy and online from that standpoint, you know, because this channel is available to them, that means that there's there's websites um, and tools and platforms more widely available to a larger chunk of the population than there would have been, um, you know, during the, the recession of 08, 09. Um, so, you know, something like secondhand shopping, obviously that existed 15 years ago, but, um, you know, there are platforms and websites that make it easier uh, to do that today than, than there might've been um, even five years ago. So we've seen, you know, a, a noticeable jump in consumers turning to secondhand buying and selling, um, you know, whether it is to buy, to rent, um, things like that. Now, some of these trends, nothing's ever, no, nothing ever sits alone, right? They're, they're yep. often interrelated. And, you know, secondhand buying is one that's also helped by the broader kind of sustainability push as well. Um, so, you know, there's been a sort of shift in mindset, I would say, where, you know, consumers that might have turned away from this idea of buying secondhand um, now can now have this social justification that they're doing good for the planet. Um, even if the, even if the driver right now is to maybe cut costs. Absolutely. And it, I think, and it throws up a couple of things in my mind. So yeah, that whole, I suppose, repurposing, um, even there's a big, seems to be a big push in the UK now on kind of renting clothes as well. So mm-hmm renting things not doing it we're certainly seeing lots of those what i call them roundup apps so it will round up all your purchases and put them in a saving pot so at the end of the month uh, year you know everything you buy for one pound 99 it puts the penny in or two pound 50 it puts mm-hmm. the 50p in so you, you save by stealth almost mm-hmm. um and, and also back to that kind of 0809 period i think f- for me personally i i shop differently so I will do that showroom in effect of going and look at the product, then searching online to say, well, I know that's the one I want, but I don't necessarily, um, 
I may like the brand I've gone to see it in, but if I know I can get it somewhere else cheaper, maybe delivered free, then that that's the journey I'll take or, or the path I'll take. Mm-hmm. And I think the big change probably that we've seen in UK retail is everybody has stopped price promising against the internet. So big heritage brands like John Lewis have dropped their never knowingly undersold on price mm-hmm. promise because they just can't keep up with the margins of um, e-commerce organizations. Yeah, what you're chasing there. You know, certainly when e-commerce started out, in general, um, people would turn to e-com because it probably was a better deal. You still see it to some degree in emerging markets. Um, I think it speaks to more so probably a sophistication of the channel. Um, But... But like you're saying, at some point it becomes a wild, wild west and there's so many players um, out there that you're competing against. Um, so it, it would be hard to to match price. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So that's trend number one. Number two? Number two is called crowdsource creation. Uh, so this ties into that idea, that sort of battle between companies and consumers and you know, consumers have been gotten more power over the years because of social media networks. And now, um, you know, there's just so much data that companies have on us um, and so much of a daily flow of information. You know, if you think about social networks, for sure, like I'm wearing a Fitbit watch right now. So think about the information that, you know, Google Fitbit has on me um, just just because of that. Um, so just that volume of insight and, and AI comes into play because of, of what you can do with that, um, that mounds of the mounds of data. Uh, but what we're hypothesizing is, is it's giving way to more of a co-creation process that's driving faster and more innovative uh, product development. So some brands um, are really trying to harness that experience to bring consumers, uh, you know, moving even beyond influencers, but in consumers um, into the process. Uh, So like one example, Nike has a web uh, 3.0 platform where users can co-create virtual product lines and earn royalties. There's another example. um, It was called Lalo. They're a baby brand and they have a committee of users um, that give that give feedback on on products and such um, that they're that they're able to then bring into the development and innovation process. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about kind of the Fitbit. We were I've got an Apple Watch for reference, and we were talking the other day. Could we? Bearing in mind, there's lots of talk, as I'm sure you've seen about the National Health Service in the, the UK and the pressure it's under and pay and all that kind of stuff. Would would we get to a world in the future where almost your Fitbit, my Apple Watch is predictive? So it sees a change in my heart rate, in my blood pressure, in um, my well-being. And that's the trigger to then ping my doctor to say, actually, these trends are out of the normal or alarming, you may want to book an appointment with Simon rather than mm-hmm. me say I'm not feeling great past the event and book an appointment the other way. Mm-hmm. Except would you start to wait two months? <laughs> well, well, probably, probably. Um, but I think yeah, the, the general point is, back to your point on data, 
there'll be more and more creation of data. I think data's data's fine, isn't it? And lots of people are data rich, information or insight poor. So it's how that becomes a benefit for me to be comfortable with passing that data on rather than just layering somebody else with much more data to say Simon's going to buy this in three weeks or actually he's bought three red jumpers. So he's probably going to buy a a red jumper next or not a red jumper. Yeah, it gets into um, a competing force. We talk about a lot the privacy versus personalization and what degree are consumers comfortable with giving up information and what do they expect in, expect in return? And that actually takes us to the e-customization trend. Actually, we talk a lot about privacy in that um, because the, the basis of that trend is that brands are responding to that consumer desire for greater personalization by, by offering a broader range of customization across all types of goods and services sold online. And obviously this enhanced personalization is made possible by AI um, and just, just data sharing. And so it's, it's all about that exchange of information. Um, And, and so I think as you're talking about it in the, in the health domain, you know, I think there are certainly greater hurdles to overcome um, and you do have, you know, there's there's going to be differences by generations. There's going to be differences um, just culturally. Obviously, you know, uh, Germans and, and Japanese tend to be on one end of the spectrum um, in terms of not wanting to share information. So I'm sure they would have a harder line on something like that. Um, but yeah, usually it's about what do I get in exchange for it and is is that exchange uh, reasonable? And this number three, so this kind of e-customization, as you call it, that I can't say. Um, You mentioned uh, when we were talking offline about the Starbucks app as well. So just talk to us about the kind of permutations that will blow people's mind of how many uh, ways there are of building a coffee. Yeah. So I think Starbucks is the, the gold standard in this where, you know, obviously they've had a, a very well-performing mobile app. I think they first launched it in 2010 and they started to bring these customization options into it. And essentially there's 170,000 ways that you could order a drink um, through their app. So that's the absolute extreme. But what is interesting is, you know, that speaks to the possibility in food service. Other players are certainly tapping into that. But there's also potential in in kind of the big ticket purchases as well. Um, Samsung has what they call a bespoke design studio, which basically allows allows customers to order custom d- design fridge freezers or other appliances where um, you can choose design elements on it or um, I think even like upload photos and such too. Um, when you have your refrigerator made or your oven or, or what have you. I've seen, I've seen some of that with, it's a bit somber, but with coffins where you can have um, mm-hmm. paper coffins and you can get your kids to put uh, pictures and they'll upload photos and stuff, which I think is really, really cool. I'm not sure I'd want to see my face on the fridge every time I looked at it. 
yeah, really honest. that's a commitment because that fridge is yeah. going to be around for 15 years. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. I'm also sure its secondhand resale value would plummet as yes. well if it had my yeah, face in it. But that, that's another one. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the, the Starbucks thing's great. Um, but up from my operational head goes on then, and I think to deal with that in a in a coffee shop to have all those permutations needs a mm-hmm. a great layout. Um, you know, a great way of the order coming through to the barista and then it being really efficient and on hand to be able to know, you know, which syrup, which size, which blend, which temperature, whatever all those permutations are. Mm So I think you can customize. You've also got to think operationally if you're going to do that customization in bricks and mortar in the store, how that impacts the time it takes, which is clearly from the productivity angle Mm -hmm. of our side, uh, but the benefit of it as well. So I'm sure there's some fancy algorithm that says out of those 170,000 combinations, there's probably a core of 50, which, uh, you know, make up 95% of the orders. Um, mm-hmm. But but showing you've got breadth clearly is uh, is something that appeals to people because it gives them choice. So that... Yeah, so Starbucks has been doing this for a bit. Like they started adding, they started adding this customization in 2017 and they report that their sales have increased 400% wow. on the back of, you know, largely driven by this, or they've pointed to that in earnings. Um, so others are getting in on this, but, you know, Starbucks is kind of that leader out in the front. Yeah. Yeah. They do a good job. They do a good job. So that was number three, uh, number four in terms of trends. Yeah, we call it game changers. So this is the idea you tap into the power of rewards and competition. um, And brands are basically gamifying the e-commerce experience. And it's twofold, I would say, you know, in in some ways it helps to helps to drive engagement, help those low conversion rates. But it's also about data collection as well. So this is the third time data has come up in conversation. Um, but essentially, you know, off the back of GDPR and other privacy regulations like that that have come into play across the world, um, you know, it's been harder for brands to get access to first party data. Um, so this is an avenue for getting that type of information. And it, is this the kind of thing I think I'd want today, actually, which said, I can't remember which website it's from, so it clearly wasn't that effective. Um we haven't seen you in a while. Is a twenty five percent off voucher off your next purchase? I would say it goes a little bit further. Like if it's a discount, it might be like a wheel is spinning and you play it to find okay. out your discount, something like that. Um, there, like we've seen luxury brands that they try to create this engaging experience where you know you're walking through, like let's say the streets of Paris or maybe it was maybe it was in Spain actually I don't remember but the point was you you basically you unlock the new collection that kind of idea right. uh, you're going through this game to unlock it um so it it might also tie to maybe educating around the brand as well like maybe it is about conveying a greater meaning um but it's it's things that consumers can i would say interact with uh, most likely to to drive an experience so kind of login streaks if you log in daily you get bigger discount codes or like you say access to new collections or exclusive content yeah like that that daily interaction you're talking about because this trend started out of china um and 
Amp Financial was a big one where you log in daily and water a virtual tree. Um, so to some degree, that concept is exporting now elsewhere. Shopee, which is out of Singapore, a big e-commerce marketplace, well, they actually have that water a virtual tree. And then basically you you get Shopee coins and then you're able to use that on other things. Um, so yeah, it obviously driving engagement, um, maybe it's reoccurring engagement based on what the experience is. Um, maybe it's around a moment like the, the, um, Paris fashion show, for example. Um, but yeah, trying to bring consumers in and, and to, to keep their attention. Amazing. And fifth and final trend. Yeah, this one we call sensory shopping. Um, so this is all about that effort to try to create a more multi-sensory uh, commerce experience to try to better mimic in-person shopping. So it's it's the idea of like, how can we move from the notion of the e-commerce experience just being about what you see or hear to also invoking those senses of touch, smell, and taste. Uh, so I know you're you're probably going to ask more about this experience and who's doing it, um, because it is the more far out there trend. Like I think the players driving it are are very much more pioneers, and it tends to be either kind of big brands with pocketbooks to explore things or startups. Um, so an example um, that I can give you, like L'Oreal has. Uh, a fragrance that it that's called Victor and Rolf Mm -hmm. that has a a digital perfume sample. Um, So they were, they basically had, they had sounds on the website that were designed to invoke the sensation of smelling. Um, It's the, the fragrance is called spice bomb and it's, it's by this Victor and Rolf brand. Um, And then there's other examples of, um, there's there's a company out of a beauty brand, a South Korean beauty company called um, Amor Pacific that has a wearable um, chip wireless skin measuring device that basically takes feedback from your skin and shares this digital feedback. So obviously that gets into more of that tactile kind of experience. Um, So you're seeing different things like that pop up. I remember, I think the closest I've got to is years ago as a kid, they used to do scratch and sniff cards. So you used to scratch the card and it, and as you watch telly, they linked it to programs. You had to snap it. It never smelled anything like it was supposed to. Yeah, so now we're just trying to bring that into websites, basically. Interesting. Yeah, be be really, I've got visions of sat there and things seeping through my monitor screen or speakers and all various smells around. But um, yeah. And, and they say, don't you, with lots of things we, you know, we eat with our eyes and, and our, our nose before we kind of see it. So uh, you can see certainly from a, a perfume point of view, from a, a food point of view, how that would be a bit of a game changer really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Interesting. Fascinating. So yeah, brilliant uh, summary of the five trends. So really appreciate that. As I said, we will post the link to the 2023 Digital Shopper Trends webinar, which goes through those five trends and more for people to um, 
reviewing their own time. If people want to reach out to you, Michelle, where's the best place for them to find you? I'm on um, Twitter and LinkedIn as well. So if you were to search Michelle Evans Euro Monitor, you'll probably find me. Brilliant. We'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can get there easily. So final question from me before we finish today's recording. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? It's a tricky one on the spot, right? Yeah. You know, I, I think something that I, that I think about a lot is, um, is the nuance of data. Obviously you can use data in a lot of different ways to tell stories. And often, often the, story is 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 probably as you peel back the onions peel back the layer of the onion right yep yep no like that that's a good one so really really appreciate your time uh thanks for coming on love talking through those five trends look after yourself and we'll catch up soon okay thank you very much for the invite 